0: This is The Guardian. Love Island is back on UK screens. And after eight series, there are certain things we've come to expect from the show. Glowing tans, sculpted abs, and of course, those dazzlingly bright, perfectly straight teeth. They've been nicknamed turkey teeth after one of the most popular destinations for cosmetic dental treatment. And seeing these Hollywood smiles in the villa and all over social media is making more of us consider going abroad to correct our own imperfect teeth. But how exactly do people get the Love Island look? And what happens if it goes wrong? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Paul Woodhouse, you run your own dental practice in the northeast of England and you're also on the board of the British Dental Association. I want to start by understanding exactly how people get these Love Island smiles. What's the least invasive way to achieve it?
1: The least invasive way to get the cosmetic results that people want is initially be born with straight teeth and just have a a little bit of whitening. The next least destructive way is to align the teeth that you've got with either conventional braces, what people call train track braces, or or clear aligners, which are much more popular. And maybe some edge bonding with some little white filling materials just to, to straighten off any edges that are a bit roughened. After that, we go on to veneers, which are essentially false fingernails, and this is what everyone thinks they're getting when they go abroad. They're always described as veneers. A true veneer requires very little tooth preparation. In fact, these things are very, very thin, fractions of millimetres.
0: In that case, your teeth are still untouched underneath, and if you have the veneers taken off, your teeth underneath are still fine. They're okay.
1: Yeah, generally... uh, Hopefully the teeth are in a fairly good position anyway and the veneers are just glued onto the enamel. The ideal veneer prep requires a lot of enamel left on the tooth to actually glue the veneer onto. Finally, you would go to full coverage crowns, which are thick preparations. So usually a millimeter of material at least is removed from the tooth. And then the crown is more like a a helmet or a balaclava going over the tooth. So you really need a 360 degree preparation of the tooth and a height reduction of the tooth to gain enough space for the crown material. If the word crown is involved, there is going to be some reduction of tooth material.
0: So what I've been seeing on social media when people are getting their teeth filed down to what look like shark teeth, a crown's being put on each tooth which to me seems like a super extreme thing to do on every single one of your teeth especially if they're healthy.
1: Yeah so these kind of things are happening when it's the quick fast solution with very little regard for long-term outcomes where you need to get the teeth in a line but you don't bother to move the teeth you just cut the teeth back until they're all in a line so some teeth will have 0.8 0.8 of a millimetre removed and some teeth will have a couple of millimetres removed and, till the stumps all line up and then you make crowns that fit over the top so that you present a uniform front and a, a uniform height pattern.
0: Where I live there's new cosmetic dental clinics opening up so what's the difference between what's on offer here and what's on offer abroad? Why would people go abroad to have this done?
1: The standard argument is it's cheaper abroad because it's done in a almost production line ways of manufacturing these crowns. They're not individually tailored to a smile. There is get you in the chair, numb you up, cut all your teeth down, come back a a week or so later, get those crowns fitted. When you're producing quality dental work, it takes time. It takes time to prepare the teeth. It takes time to plan the case out before you even start preparing the teeth and then it takes time for quality crowns to be manufactured.
0: Many of the people who travel abroad for cosmetic dental work are really happy with the results. You only have to look on YouTube and TikTok to find people showing off their smiles and talking about the newfound confidence it's given them, including former Love Islanders Su and Luca Bish. I had my
1: nice smile before, but now I have an even better smile. I'm so confident all I want to do is laugh and smile all the time. So when my tea came, I felt so emotional because they're exactly how I wanted. I'm Luca, I've had my top 10 with
0: Emacs and my bottom 10 with Laminate. Uh, the dental centre has been absolutely
1: amazing. It's been one of my best decisions I've ever made.
0: But there have also been cases of it going horribly wrong. Last year, a British Dental Association survey of a thousand UK dentists found that 96% had examined patients who had gone abroad for treatments. And of those, 86% reported having treated cases that developed problems. So, Paul, what are some of the risks associated with these kinds of procedures?
1: The most common issue that we find where lots and lots of tooth materials cut down is the teeth underneath dying off, which will require either extraction or root canal therapy. But there is also very, very basic stuff like clean up after the fit. We've seen cement between teeth because the teeth are generally linked crowns. There is no ability for the patient to clean between their teeth. They can't get flossed through there. The shapes are wrong, so there's not an ability to get underneath the crowns with little interproximal brushes, so you end up with a much higher likelihood of gum disease, which is where you lose the bone support around the teeth. And if the bone goes, it stays gone forever. It never, ever comes back. It cannot be regrown. And if you lose the support of the teeth, those teeth will eventually fall out.
0: And have you seen any of these kinds of disaster cases from somebody who has gone abroad?
1: My favourite case for bad stories is is a young 19-year-old who went out there and he had a beautiful smile. He was a a good-looking young man, but he went on holiday to Turkey and he ended up with 10 linked crowns on the top and two groups of five on the bottom. He was in great amount of pain because he could only focus his bite on two teeth, so he couldn't eat properly. Because his teeth don't hit together, he can't speak properly. He can't form letters properly. He can't clean his teeth properly. There was evidence underneath three of his teeth that they were already dying off, and there was further evidence in the rest of his teeth that the ligaments were under increased strain under under several teeth because of what he was doing to them. So he was looking at a massive reconstruction job. And if you're doing that in 1920 and you live to be 80 years old, there's not going to be anything left by the time you're in your mid-40s, and you're going to be in dentures very, very early.
0: To me, it seems quite shocking that anyone would even be allowed to do that kind of procedure on somebody who has already good teeth. Now, I'm interested to find out, how does the regulation for dental work in the UK compare to places like Turkey, Bulgaria, and Romania, you know, those common places people go to have their dentistry done.
1: So in, in the United Kingdom, we're regulated by the General Dental Council, a body that solely exists to protect the public from bad dentistry, from cowboys, from people doing the wrong thing, people who are dangerous to see, so that the public can be assured when they see a dentist in this country who is registered, they're going to be provided a level of care. We're also similarly covered by indemnity and insurances, so that there are there are problems, there is a financial redress for patients if things go badly wrong and it can't be fixed easily.
0: If they can't get access to reparations in the country that they've had the dentistry work done or they don't want to have any more work done there, are people able to use the NHS in those cases?
1: There's not an NHS dentist in the country that would touch one of these cases. I'll speak particularly about England, so apologies to my uh, Scottish, Welsh, and Northern Irish cousins. It's based on basic services. So you are contracted to provide basic care to your patients. This is advanced care and needs to be done by people who know what they're doing. Now, most dentists can handle it with advanced training, but they're not contracted to do it on the NHS. So one, they will be in breach of contract. Two, the way dentists are remunerated. If I do 10 crowns, I would lose money. So no NHS dentist will treat them.
0: Which could leave people with a big financial burden. Do you think this could get worse?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And these are the tip of the iceberg cases because this has only become a a fairly recent phenomenon of people doing dental tourism and health tourism. Those cases that have gone really well where people are totally happy, they could have sort of simmering problems underneath, a bit like the pin being pulled on a hand grenade. It's going to blow up. We just don't know when.
0: we begin to fix this issue
1: you can educate people so much but the trouble is it's the instant gratification so i've seen people who they've come to me for consultations or colleagues for consultations and they've been told with alignment whitening a a bit of bonding they can have the smile that they want but it's going to take them six months it's going to take them a year and then they jump on a plane to turkey etc And they come back two weeks later with the teeth they've always wanted but everything's destroyed underneath if people are visiting a dentist in the uk and they they talk about going abroad it's important that we as healthcare professionals explain the risks if they still want to take those risks that's fine they've just got to accept the consequences i don't think there's anything else we can really do
0: paul i'm not going to lie my teeth do feel kind of weird <laughs> uh, they feel very um, I feel very conscious of them after this conversation but it's been really fascinating and useful to hear so thank you so much oh, no problem thanks again to Paul Woodhouse and that's it for today this episode was produced by me Madeline Finlay it was sound designed by Joel Cox and it was executive produced by Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. And don't forget to floss.